Welcome to episode 46 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with Sycamore trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to sycomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. On today's show, we'll be featuring a conversation with Thomas Brennan, founder of The War Horse, an award-winning nonprofit newsroom and a trusted source for reporting on the human impact of military service. Thomas is a father, husband, and served as a sergeant in the Marine Corps Infantry in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Thomas is the co-author of Shooting Ghosts, a U.S. Marine, a combat photographer, and their journey back from war. His bylines have appeared in Vanity Fair, Center for Investigative Reporting, and the New York Times. You can find out more about Thomas by checking out his bio on our show notes, Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Well, it looks like you came into journalism the hard way, Marine Corps infantry during the Second Battle of Fallujah in Iraq and injured during a patrol in Helmand Province, Afghanistan. You weren't a journalist in the military. So how did you find yourself making this transition in post-military life? Once I got hurt, and I came home at the end of the deployment. I started struggling and I turned to writing as part of my therapy once I enrolled in uh, mental health treatment. And after I published my first story, which could be a podcast in itself about the serendipity, how that happened, you know, I, the photographs that a journalist took the day that myself and three of my Marines were wounded were crucial to my recovery. And they're what I began writing about, about how they helped me fill in some of the blanks for a day that was largely wiped from my mind. So having a journalist there the day that I was wounded really opened my eyes to the power of journalism. I immediately valued that he not only told my story, but the, the story of the Marines that I got wounded that day and the rest of my squad. So what began as first person reflection and, and narratives that I published with the Times quickly turned into me wanting to transition from writing about myself to writing about the broader issues and the other people that were experiencing the good, the bad, and the ugly of military service. It was a pretty quick turnaround from the time that I started writing as therapy to wanting to be a reporter. There's a real helper's high that, that comes from helping people feel like the, their voice matters and, and that they have something to add to the conversation. So I don't, I've always just gotten a it, Always gotten a lot out of journalism. It's allowed me a, a second chance to serve, which was good for me, especially you know, having lost my military career because of my injury. And that's something that I've heard fairly often, I think, from veterans in post-military life, that it is a way to continue service in a different way. Uh, like you said, it's a helper's high. We served overseas so that others didn't have to for you know, a number of different reasons. But that seems to be a common theme with veterans who find themselves telling stories, especially publicly, in their post-military life. Yeah, I'm definitely not the first person to say that uh, journalism is a second calling 
for veterans oftentimes who transition and are looking for something in the social impact sector. I mean, the, in the military, in the broadest sense, I mean, we defend democracy. And I see journalism as another profession that, that defends our democracy. So I, I love it. And I'm definitely, a, but by saying that it's a, a second chance to serve, I know I'm probably using somebody else's words, but they, they ring very true. Common themes are common for a reason. But the other piece that I think is is interesting about your story is that it didn't start out as a way to continue service, but it started out as a method of healing. You said it was a way for you to help process and understand that particular day. And in a number of different creative outlets for veterans are important to make sense of what happened when you're in the military. Yeah, it from a very, from the earliest time, coming home and thinking back to scribbling on paper and just ticking away on my keyboard, just writing stuff, trying to process through my emotions and a lot of what I was going through, it, it, it was invaluable. There's real power in being able to crumple up a piece of paper and throw it away when you're done with it or light it on fire or save it for later. Or There's power in, in being able to actually turn the page and to be able to close the book and, and put it away for a time that, that you're ready for it. The notebook. It, I, I found, I don't think I really realized what it was doing for me until it was just a routine for me. And it was almost effortless for me. Like, like my body and mind took a path of least resistance type thing. Like it was helping and I didn't know it myself, but I, I just kept doing it. And yeah. And, and then what really started helping me was when I sort of, I was able to process and sort out some of what I was going through. And then I started helping other people process what they were going through and being asked open-ended questions and being allowed to explain yourself and, and process what you've been through in a conversation with somebody, oftentimes who has, in many circumstances, I've shared experiences with some of the people that I interview, maybe not the same MOS or military specialty or whatever, but the fact that we wore the uniform or they're a family member or somebody who served, it levels the playing field real quick and makes for an, an honest conversation. And yeah, the helping people really helped me. And in having those conversations, it led me to really reflect on what I thought, what I was going through, how I could move forward. I, the reporting that I did really early on in my career, I profiled, I want to say it was like 25 or 35. It was a few dozen World War II veterans when I was at the Daily News in North Carolina. All those veterans, I'd get done with my reporting and I'd ask them, not off the record, but I'd ask them a personal question. Like, how the hell did you come back from the Battle of the Bulge? Or I interviewed a medic who served on Normandy with only a pocket knife. I mean, I interviewed Marines who fought in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. I asked all of them, like, how in the world did you come home and live the next 35, 40 years of your life and not kill yourself somehow? And each of them said, I figured out a way to keep my mind busy. And I just had to recognize that it takes time to come home. It takes time to identify what your post-service purpose is. And that that takes a level of patience with ourselves that the military really doesn't teach you. We're taught the instant willing obedience to all orders and you get told to do something, you do it now. But it, And we're not very patient with ourselves. Every older veteran that I've spoken with says three, five, seven years after you're getting out. It's an identity change. It's a psychological adjustment. Our country's in a difficult place right now, period. Like it, So coming home to 
country that you might not recognize, right, is, is difficult. So there's a variety of things that make transitioning from the military really difficult. And I don't think what I think what's missing from the conversation is people don't tell you that it's going to take time and you need to be patient. And writing my story and reporting the stories of others helped me realize that. And I think that's unfortunate is by the time that you realize that and you want to turn around and tell somebody that they're in that military mindset and they're not listening to you, right? You know, when you were relevant, you didn't have the knowledge. And now that you have the knowledge, at some point, we're not very relevant. But I really like that idea for many veterans. It's about I am help through helping others. And that's really how I understand the War Horse came about, being a nonprofit news outlet specializing in news for the military and veteran population. I'm a fan. I'm a reader. But it'd be great to hear more about the War Horse and some of the impact that you've seen it have in sort of your post-military career. I would say the biggest impact that I believe that we have at War Horse is from yeah, the, the investigations and the features that we've done and the team that we've built is absolutely incredible. I'm not downplaying any of that or the, their, their contributions, but the, the individual reflections that we published by veterans, civilians, military family members reflecting on military service, asking big questions about military service, those first-person narratives are how I got my start. A perfect example of how much like seeing how much they mean to someone to have their story put out there and their voice heard. And we're fortunate. We have various syndication partners like Military Times, Military.com, who help us reach a larger audience. But for Veterans Day, we published four students that I met three years ago during a conversation at Berwick Academy in Maine when they were eighth grade. And I, I went up there for a school assembly presentation with them for Veterans Day this year. And before the pandemic and when the, the seminars were going on, you, you see the joy in person of somebody valuing their story being told and read and listened to and embraced. But you know, seeing the kids who some are military kids, some have no military affiliation, like one had a grandfather that they wrote about, seeing the joy on their face from having their story be part of the conversation and be valued was just absolutely incredible. And it's the same way for the veterans and military families. And yesterday we published a, a civilian. It matters. And that impact to me is what drives me through the really difficult times of entrepreneurship and trying to scale a newsroom when news is not in a healthy place right now. So that's the biggest impact for me. I, I think that uh, as far as the, the newsroom goes, I think that our broader journalistic impact is demonstrated in the investigations that we published. We did the Marines United reporting back in 2017 that led to federal policy changes and, and changes to military law. I think it's arguably changed the conversation about sexual assault and sexual harassment and various other sex crimes in the military. We also you know, more recently won both the, the Edward R. Murrow and the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Journalism Award for a story we did about Corporal Tehu, uh, a Marine who was to say the least, treated very unfairly during a court-martial and, and did not have her sexual assault investigated properly by NCIS. That story has helped foster some uh, important conversations. And then I'd say the story that I'm incredibly proud of is Kelly's most recent piece that, that we published, where you know, she looked at breast cancer rates and toxic exposures among women veterans. I know that the, the toxic exposure conversation has been happening with the various VSOs and MSOs for a long period of time. But I, I was genuinely shocked by the, the higher level outreach that we got to, to that story. Immediately after it published, the White House reached out to Kelly. And I, I firmly believe that 
a lot of the progress that was made at the most recent event that they did was a direct result of her reporting. So knowing that you're having not just a, an impact on national policy and helping bring attention to the important work that the VSOs and MSOs are doing to move things forward for veterans and military families, that, that's incredibly rewarding. We may have got the email that we may have got their attention saying that X, Y, and Z was happening as a result, but you know, we're part of the broader ecosystem, even though we're not a VSO and MSO ourselves. So it, the impact's been truly incredible. And watching our, our business side is led by Sam Daniels. She's a military spouse, like watching her grow into a business leader and take that side by the reins and just run with it has been awesome. So whether it's internal or seeing Kelly grow our, our writer network, or it's watching the external support grow. Like it, it's really been incredible to have people validate the impact and validate the work that we're doing. And I think, and, and obviously, again, as, as someone who sort of watches this from the outside, knowing that there are service members, veterans, and their families involved in this, we had some of these conversations around there aren't enough veterans in whatever occupation, much less journalism. But then going back to what you said your personal value was, is your very visible efforts over the years, not only to tell your stories, but to help others tell theirs. Why do you think it's important to support service members, veterans, and their families to share their stories is part of the writing workshops that, that War Horse sponsors or giving them a platform to, to be able to share their stories? So a lot of people, I think, assume that I'm a lot more extroverted than I really am. It, I wrote the stories. It, my earliest stories were for personal reasons. But I think that uh, before I went to grad school in 2014, I knew that I wanted, it was initially a blog that I was thinking. I didn't know what the name was going to be, but I knew something had to improve in media about how veterans and military families were covered. And it was clear to me that, especially from my time in the infantry, like none of my Marines would follow me or go on point if I wasn't willing to go on point too, or to kick in a door or to take out the trash. Like it, my whole time in the infantry, it was, it, you're not better than the person that you're leading, period. And I had to make a very from a business entrepreneur perspective, I couldn't ask people to do work that I wasn't willing to do myself. So I had hard conversation. I wrote about difficult topics in my book. I've written about difficult topics in, in the reflections that I've written. And I think that self-reflection and you know, being critical of myself, it allows me to write harder hitting reporting projects and ask people tougher questions. But most importantly, it lets us... And Kelly's done the same thing. Like she's written very honest things and all, all of our other you know, team members and freelancers and stuff have done the same thing. But what that does by everyone embracing the vulnerability is when we host these writing seminars or when we work with these writers, we hope that they can see that we're not asking them to do anything that we haven't already done ourselves or are continuing to do ourselves. And I think that just makes for such a more, much more honest and deep connection. And that brings out more honest writing and better relationships with not only between our team, but the writers that we work with. 
But it also establishes legitimacy and trust. Like you said, that you're not asking anyone to be vulnerable when you haven't been vulnerable yourself. And it's really more about helping them tell their story. And like you originally said in the very beginning, it's about getting what's in your head out on the paper or in the song or on the canvas or whatever way that it expresses so that ultimately it gives them the voice that can help them heal and get support the same way it helped you. Yeah, there's power in claiming your narrative and claiming your story. You're not going to you're not going to change your story, you're not going to change what you've been through, but you know, you can you you can control your narrative. You own it. You own it. It's yours. And I, I think that there's strength in putting that out there for the world. Strength that it can be gained and strength that's displayed from putting that on the world. I, I like that you brought up trust because I there are very few as a journalist, there are very few newsrooms that I actually trust to cover the military and veteran community. People can do the research. I've, I've written for some good places and it, I'm shocked that some things can get on a front page without fact checking. And some of those practices, while they, as I've come up as an entrepreneur, people have told me it's impossible to put fact checking and some more, I don't know, classic historic newsroom practices back into journalism. But like we've built it into our budget. And I think we've been successful so far. Fact checking and, and trust is number one in news. Like part of why we're it, the news industry is very flawed. There's have a big issue with sponsored content it, and many other industry practices. I think a lot of that speaks to the, the desperation that exists within our industry to remain uh, solvent, to be blunt. Now, there are news deserts that exist all over the country and they're growing and people don't have as many trustworthy sources of information as they used to. And unfortunately, there hasn't been enough analysis within the media sector itself to know whether or not the military reporting space has been disproportionately affected compared to other news beats like politics and education or business reporting or things of that nature. So trust for us is is the number one thing like we, we have to i think we've done a good job so far of earning it but uh just like they they told us in the marine corps chow's continuous when you're out in the field you, you eat when you need to like earning and maintaining trust for a newsroom should and always be paramount to a newsroom and will always be paramount to our newsroom because without that to be blunt like we don't have shit like we won't be sustainable as a newsroom if people lose trust in what we're doing. And if we're going to be successful in our most ambitious plans, then we have to hold true to that. You know, I, I think that's great. And you and I, having both been in the desert, knows that a, a lone voice in the desert can carry very far. So it's unfortunately, if that's the case, but to very much appreciate the work that Warhorse is doing. If listeners want to find out more about the Warhorse or, or the work that you're doing specifically, how can they do that? They can go to thewarhorse.org slash impact and they can learn about all the work that we've done. We've got a pretty nice impact video there. Yeah. And work across all social media platforms. You know, I think people have already seen uh, a lot of our work if they're at all following any of the military newsrooms uh, who, who syndicate our work. And they should be on the lookout for us in the national news because in the past we've partnered with PBS NewsHour, NPR, and been featured in various newspapers and magazines across the country. So Absolutely. That's great. I'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, no worries. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. 
Sycomer offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Thomas. As I mentioned, I've followed the Warhorse for a number of years and have always enjoyed their reporting. I've had friends who have attended their writing seminars and found it very helpful. But one thing I didn't know until I had this conversation with Thomas is the story behind the story. Thomas's experience in using writing as a path to his own healing is one that I often see as a clinical mental health counselor. There's something about getting what's in your head out of your head and out into the quote-unquote real world. It stops being something abstract that you're thinking about and something that's triggering emotions and becomes something tangible. You can see it or hear it or do something with it. As Thomas said, maybe you publish it, maybe you throw it away. Maybe you put it in a box somewhere and come back to it years later. I always suggest that veterans find a creative outlet in post-military life, writing like Thomas did and I have, or painting or sculpting or writing music or lyrics, most of which I've tried and few of which have really worked out for me. But it's about creating something that didn't exist before and telling your story in a way that's both easy for you to tell and easy for others to understand. And if you want to tell your story in such a way that can be interpreted in a couple of different ways, that's fine. You can tell your story without telling all of the details or telling some of the details to some of the people who have one set of experiences and other details to others with different sets of experiences. That's not Thomas's style, of course. In my experience, the Warhorse is very much an organization that values the ugly truth over the beautiful lie, and that's what makes them valuable and unique. The other point that I'd like to pull out is where Thomas describes his interview series with World War II veterans. He said that almost all of them said that we have to be patient when returning from combat or leaving the military, that it takes time to come home. That reminded me of a conversation that I had with a mentor one time. This gentleman had been in the Navy and did three tours in Vietnam, so he was unique in that most Vietnam veterans only had one tour or two at the most. Then he left the military and became a police officer, left the police force to become a Presbyterian minister, and finally retires from the ministry and was working as a mental health counselor. At breakfast one morning, he asked me, so how long have you been out of the military? This was in the fall of 2016, so I said, it's been so long, two whole years. He laughed and told me that I still had sand behind my ears. The rough edges hadn't been worn down yet. He told me to let him know when it had been 15 years, then I'll start having a bit of perspective on my military service. And he's right. As I record this, I'm about halfway to that 15-year mark, and my perspective on my service and the impact that it's had on my life and my family's lives is constantly being reevaluated. It does take time to come home, and it takes patience to get through that time. It's not all puppies and rainbows, and it's not easy, but it's possible. Thomas has shown that it's possible, and he's showing others that it's possible. And he'd probably say that he hasn't arrived any more than I would say that, or any veteran would, even 15 or 50 years later. The only thing that we can do is keep going, keep making differences in our own way if we want to do that, and making things around us better than they were before we got there. For this week's Psych Armor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Behind the Mission course, Telling Your Story. This course provides a compelling glimpse into the lives of four United States military veterans, narrated by David Vabora, CEO and co-founder of the Adaptive Training Foundation and former NFL linebacker. This course offers service members and veterans insight into talking about their military experience. Join four veterans as they share personal stories surrounding their military experience and their transition to post-military life. Each veteran offers a unique perspective on the transition journey and helpful tips for making your transition successful. 
You can find the course through the link in the show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in your podcast player of choice, as well as at psychomer.org forward slash podcast. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.